Cleveland Cavs fans. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast on this, a glorious Sunday evening leading into one of my favorite weeks of the year, Thanksgiving. I eat as if there's no tomorrow. There's football all day Thursday. Apparently now Friday, we're going to get NFL games. And today, the Cavaliers notched what is undoubtedly their most impressive victory of the season to extend their winning streak to three games. Now, I I took a gamble when I did not do a podcast after Friday, but I thought, you know what? I am going to assume that if I wait to podcast until after the Denver game, that somehow the Cavaliers are going to pull off a victory. Now, there was not much to indicate that that would be the case. But in the lack of logic, I am fueled by sheer hatred. So, as you know, as I've spoken of this past week on the podcast, oftentimes, especially on the weekend, I bounce around NBA podcasts. I want to hear what different fan bases are saying. I want to hear what national pundits are saying. I seek out disrespect of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it fuels me. Let the heat flow through you. Never underestimate the amount of sensitivity and spite at every level. Things got a little dark. Well, today, a beautiful football Sunday, I woke up early and I said, what shall I do with this day? I smoked some wings. I went down to the park, the local park. So as I started jockeying, I queued up a podcast of a record amongst the Denver Nuggets fans, the Pickaxe and Roll, hosted by Ryan Blackburn. Now, I wasn't familiar with him, but I saw him mention that Justin Rowan and he are on an NBA all-inclusive podcast. So I thought, you know what? If Justin vouches for this man, Justin also vouched for Craig Porter Jr. Perhaps I need to listen to what this man has to say. And while listening to his podcast, I heard the following. First from the host. They'll beat Cleveland and Detroit. They'll lose in Orlando because they always lose in Orlando. And then they will beat Houston when Jamal comes back. That was it. And I know some of you probably think that that's nothing. But I would disagree. Because Ryan put us in the same breath as the Detroit Pistons, as easy wins. They'll beat Cleveland and Detroit. And that is offensive. Now, perhaps you think I'm being too sensitive. But I would say the following. If you were in a casual conversation... And you heard someone say, Draymond Green and the BTK killer were both terrible people. Are you telling me that wouldn't bother you? One of those people is an absolutely reprehensible human being and attacked dozens of people over a reign of terror that extended for more than a decade. The other one was just a serial killer who made some poor decisions and maybe killed some women. Now, obviously, I did that for effect, but I would like to point out just something, not to justify the BTK killer, but hear me out here. I don't know how many of you know much about him, but my wife, like a fucking lunatic, listens to audiobooks about murderers nonstop in the bathroom, getting ready in the morning. Hey, Google, play me this guide on how to commit a murder and not get caught with it. That's, how, what, it, that's what it sounds like to me. Sounds like I should have my head on a swivel. So I've been hearing a lot in the background. One of the victims of this man in 1974 was an entire family of people, the Otero family. The victims were the father, the wife, and two children, ages 11 and 9. Now, his name, the father, was Joseph Otero. Their firstborn daughter he named Josephine, after himself, 
presumably. Then two years later, he had their second child, a son, and he named him Joseph as well. So Joe had Josephine, Joey, and his wife was named Julie. A lot of J's. Now, far be it for me to judge, a man with no children, to judge you for what you want to name your children. I don't think it's that unusual to name a kid after yourself. I think it's a lot more unusual to name two kids of two different genders, presumably, after yourself. Dare I say, the shades of narcissism. Just a little bit. And I'm not saying that that means you deserve to die, but I do think you might be able to draw a correlation between a serial killer looking for a reason to murder you and your whole family and the fact that you chose to name every child after yourself. How exactly do you pick these things? I'm sure it's not some rational reason. It probably is something trivial. Like they cut me off in traffic, or she dressed like a whore, or they named all of their children after themselves. But let's get back to basketball, shall we? Because there was another murder that took place tonight. It was Nikola Jokic at the hands of my beloved Jared Allen. Just to work me into a full froth pregame. On the heels of Mr. Blackburn making that dismissive clumping of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Detroit Pistons, his co-host on this particular podcast, a man by the name of Swiper, had the following to say. He actually dominates the Cavaliers uh, front two there, you know, between uh, 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 Mobley and, and Allen. This man is a liar! And y'all are full of shit. Or, if I want to frame this positively, because again, I'm a real sack of shit for yelling at sound bites from other podcasts, but... This podcast has to stand up for the integrity of the Cleveland Cavaliers. This concept of objective journalism, it does not exist here. I am first and foremost a Cavalier fan, second a historian. So to the facts, this man has the gall to say that Nikola Jokic has cooked Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. We don't even have to go back two seasons. First, the averages against the Cavaliers over the last three seasons. Nikola Jokic has averaged 22 points, 13 rebounds, and 9 assists. Now that's very impressive numbers. Evan Mobley has averaged 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 assists. Hardly a cooking. Last season, Evan Mobley scored 31 points and 9 rebounds, shooting 63% from the floor in a game against the Nuggets. We lost it, yes. But that's hardly cooking Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. But the game that I want to focus on, we go back to 2022. This was one of the pinnacle games of Evan Mobley's career. And any Evan Mobley enthusiast has this burned into their memory. Because that was a season in which Nikola Jokic won the MVP. And despite that, the Cavaliers toppled him during a game in which Evan Mobley exploded in overtime. Scoring nine of the Cavaliers' final 12 points and recording a block on Nikola Jokic to pull away and prevail. Now, in that season, two seasons ago, the Cavaliers won both games against Nikola Jokic. So I'm not diminishing Jokic's importance. He is the best player in the league. But for all of you out there who share an affinity for Nikola Jokic, but primarily root for the Cavs, it is important that we do not prop up Jokic's legacy on a pedestal of falsehoods about the Cavaliers' bigs. Because while I already spoke of Evan Mobley, Jared Allen himself, Mr. 10-0 run, the man who got the fourth and fifth foul on Nikola Jokic simply by absorbing those beefy elbows, is no slouch. Since Evan Mobley entered the league, Jared Allen has averaged 16 points, 11 rebounds, and three assists 
in his four games against the Nuggets, and one of particular note. In 2021, one of the seasons the Cavaliers swept the Nuggets, Jared Allen recorded 21 points, 16 rebounds, and he did it on 10 for 11 shooting from the floor. Now, for those of you at home, that's 91% from the floor. Nikola Jokic was also good in that game. He had 24 and 19 on a still impressive, but not as good, 60% from the floor. So my point is, to describe any of these things as being some one-sided domination by Nikola Jokic, I don't think it's fair. And as we celebrate the Cavaliers' victory over these Nuggets, hopefully the first of two this season, I just felt we needed to begin things by putting into its appropriate context that Evan Mobley has had some of his finest games of his career against the Denver Nuggets and against the league MVP, the one who should have been MVP last year. And Jared Allen, I don't know what more you could hope for a man than to come out of a first half in which he wasn't really needed to do much in terms of offense and for him to rip off 10 consecutive points, which seemingly broke the will of Jokic and the Nuggets, and it was an absolute shellacking from that point on. So in what may be the longest pre-open in Fear the Fro podcast history, I'm going to hit the open nine minutes into this thing. And when I return, we're going to get into the specifics of the Cavaliers dismantling of the defending champions. Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot clock by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is eight for eight from downtown. Darius Garland hit it from Euclid. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got at the buzzer! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Congratulations, Cavs fans. It's a big Sunday. In Cleveland, is it not? The Browns' victory over the Steelers, the Cavaliers taking care of the champs, and some storylines ascending that we needed to ascend at this point. Now, I'll take you back to the end of the weekend, when the Cavaliers, the end of last week, rather, when the Cavaliers defeated the Detroit Pistons. While it was a nice time to get a victory, a second straight victory, I'll take them where we can get them, it wasn't one I wanted to overreact to. There were a few storylines from that game, though, specifically that I was interested in drawing forward into a game against a much better adversary in the Denver Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell has missed the past two games, and what we've gotten has been some very encouraging play from Darius Garland. Now that's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because it is both encouraging and distressing that when Darius Garland seems to play at his best, when he seems to dictate the offense and get to the spots he wants and get some sort of rhythm and momentum over the course of the game. Unfortunately, that has happened in the absence of Donovan Mitchell. DG now is 2-0, averaging 27 points, 5 assists, and 3 rebounds, shooting absurd 57-44 splits. Hopefully, what we're seeing from Darius Garland over these last two games is something that can carry forward when Donovan Mitchell returns to the lineup because he started to see some shots fall. Watching those games, I'm sure you came away feeling the exact same way that I did, which is that he had total command when he was on the floor. But Darius Garland is just one 
of two guards in the backcourt who have become the story over the course of these past two Cavalier victories. At the end of the evening tonight, where Jared Allen came away with the junkyard dog, and I'm happy about that, the chain, uh, because he was huge in the second half. He was hammering nails in all sorts of coffins. The story of the first half was Craig Porter Jr., yet again. Now, I came away from Friday's game against the Pistons feeling like Craig Porter Jr. gave us one of the best shifts of basketball we've seen all season from any Cavalier let alone one of our top-tier players, for a deep bench guy, for a man who doesn't even log minutes every game when we're full, fully healthy, for him to come in on Friday and string together the play that he did in the first half, using his body to create separation, hitting fadeaway jumpers, hitting pull-ups, uh, imposing himself with blocks and with rebounding and doing all the things that we know he was capable of on a college level that we know he was capable of in the summer league, but now to be dropped into important NBA minutes. It was one thing on Friday. I felt great about Craig Porter Jr.'s game on Friday. They were NBA minutes. You play the people in front of you, and for him to come in in that first half and play the way that he did, across the board, five assists, a very efficient line in just 16 minutes. If I told you you could get 12 points in 16 minutes, you'd take it. Well, he won up that tonight. Second leading scorer for the Cavaliers. 21 points. Led the way, getting to the line, made every single free throw. Seven for seven from the stripe and was everywhere. This man blocked shots from behind when guys got around him. He stole balls in transition, turned around, took it the, the length of the court, and flushed it for a dunk, and he went up for some rebounds. I said this in the context of the game. There's a difference between, you know, a combine vertical and a functional, flat-footed, in-the-game vertical. There was a rebound in tonight's game that happened in the third quarter, as basically as the third quarter was coming to a close. It wasn't that long before the Nuggets just pulled the plug on the whole thing, but they were trailing by 15 points, and Strother pulled up for a three, which he missed, and the ball caromed long, almost up to the elbow of the foul line. And Craig Porter Jr. found his man, Christian Brown, put his back to him, jumped up from flat-footed with one arm, and pulled it in over what seemed like it was going to be a fairly routine offensive rebound by Christian Brown. Brown is 6'6". He's got five inches on him, and he was moving towards the hoop, and he's a good athlete himself. And Craig Porter Jr. snagged it away and took off running the other way. Now, I understand. If you didn't watch the game, hearing me talk about a rebound with a 15-point lead probably seems silly. But I promise you, if you miss this game, because of football, because of family obligations, because of whatever, and you need to be caught up to speed on why people are going to be collectively losing their minds over this weekend of Craig Porter Jr., it's worth your time. Go to the advanced game logs. Watch it. Between that and the steal and transition, where with his left hand, he broke up a pass that they were trying to lob over the top of him to Christian Brown, turned around, went the other way, and flushed it for a dunk. There are highlight moments worth seeing that go beyond the 20-plus points he scored. I retweeted somebody I saw on Twitter who said that this is Ty Jerome's Wally Pip moment, and it very well may be, because I was as big of a supporter as you'll find out there for Ty Jerome. I love his floater. I think he's shown competency with the three-point look. And if I had any reservations as to what would give Craig Porter Jr. an ability to get actual minutes this year, it was that I wasn't entirely confident that his jump shot 
and that his aggression would translate immediately. But to go in against the defending champions, Jamal Murray or no Jamal Murray, and show just this innate ability to draw contact, to throw your body into harm's way, and to still finish some stuff, to still be able to finish some looks where you took serious contact, it's incredibly impressive. And seeing it two nights in a row, while it would be easy to dismiss the Pistons one as, well, you're playing what's barely an NBA team at this point, a team that's riddled with injuries of their own, to go in tonight. These weren't garbage minutes. The game was close when he came in. There was a stretch of time where the Cavaliers ripped off 15, 18 points in a row, and they were all coming from guys who shouldn't even really be in the rotation. Dean Wade, perhaps, notwithstanding. You had Craig Porter Jr. scoring. You had Dean Wade hitting a triple finally after starting off a little rough in this game. You had Sam Merrill knocking down a three and looking serviceable in the minutes that he got in a game where we needed a ton because we only had two healthy guards. Gone were Okoro. Gone was Mitchell. Gone was Rubio and Jerome and Karis LeVert. None of them were essentially running a backcourt where the primary ball handlers were Darius Garland and Craig Porter Jr. And a nod, of course, to Max Struess because he continues to impress with his ball handling and creation abilities. And Mobley did well, too. I thought a lot of great off-ball moments. I cannot sing the praises of Craig Porter Jr. and of Darius Garland enough. Now, I would be negligent if I didn't speak about the franchise center, Jared Allen. And most of you probably assumed I would lead with that. I should have, to be honest. But while I may have spent the early portion of this podcast slapping down Nuggets misinformation and then celebrating Craig Porter Jr., that is not to say that I am not incredibly impressed by Jared Allen. Now, on the surface, His numbers probably don't sound that ridiculous to you. 15 points, 5 rebounds. However, he was the thing that took a very competitive game and blew it wide open as he scored 13 of his 15 points in the third quarter, including the first 10 consecutive points for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And in that stretch, he accumulated Two personal fouls on Nikola Jokic, two of the offensive variety, one which was escalated to a flagrant foul, and that being the fourth and fifth foul for Nikola Jokic sent him to the bench and essentially doomed the Denver Nuggets. Because while they did get a good performance tonight out of Michael Porter Jr., any hopes they had of coming back rested solely on the shoulders of the former MVP. And by Nikola Jokic's standards... 18 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists is certainly not a game up to his standard. Doesn't even meet his averages against the Cavaliers. So a great showing by the Cavaliers' bigs to give Jokic 31 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, a couple of blocks, and shoot a blistering 14 of 21. 66.6% for those doing math at home. Great game. By Evan Mobley in the first half, incredible third quarter from Jared Allen and even Dean Wade filling in again as a starter in the absence of all those many, many injuries the Cavaliers have accumulated in the backcourt. Strew slid down to the two, Dean Wade came in, and while Michael Porter Jr. got his numbers, 
mostly on three-point looks, 15 of his 21 points coming from outside the arc. He had no chance of putting the ball on the floor and driving against Dean Wade, who did an excellent job in all the ancillary areas of basketball. Started in the first quarter 0 for 2, but did knock down two three-pointers and again. Ties for the team lead in rebounds, 10 rebounds, a couple of steals. If you want to put any validity into plus-minus, second on the team in plus-minus to Jared Allen, who was a plus-42. Absolutely unbelievable. Meanwhile, Michael Porter Jr., minus 31 for the Nuggets. The man who was their leading scorer had the worst plus-minus on the Denver Nugget team. So take that for what you will. Tonight, the Kansas boys shined in their own respects. Craig Porter Jr. and Dean Wade, pivotal in a stretch where most of the starters were sitting in the second unit, which consisted of many of our summer league studs, shined. They shined. Now, Craig Porter Jr. checked in with about four minutes left in the first quarter. And at that point, the Cavaliers had a one-point lead. And Craig Porter Jr. scored the final three points of the first quarter to give the Cavaliers a four-point lead heading into the second period. From that point, the Cavaliers expanded the lead to 13 points, and every single bucket came from a person who was not even in the functional rotation to begin the year. Merrill opened it up with a triple. Wade knocked down his first three-pointer of the game. Then Craig Porter Jr. scored the next eight points for the Cavaliers to push the lead to 12, and to top it off, Sam Merrill again with a three-point shot to open up a 13-point advantage four minutes into the second quarter. That stretch, mentally, at least for me, was very important because Darius Garland came into tonight cooking. He and Evan Mobley made their first six shots. Darius Garland didn't miss in the first quarter, but the fear was always, well, Darius can't play 48 minutes. What's going to happen when he goes down? And instead of holding on to the lead, they expanded it. But if the success of the bench unit was unexpected on my part, the failure of the starters after they came back in was equally unexpected because Garland checked in for Porter with about seven minutes left in the second quarter. And from that point on, the Nuggets went on a tear. They scored the next 11 points and JB took a timeout, but it felt like, oh shit, what if it's too late? But thankfully those fears were short-lived because while the Nuggets did tie it up at 51 after Strother hit a couple of big baskets, from there, Darius Garland imposed his will. He got to the free-throw line. He threw an alley-oop to Jared Allen. Evan Mobley hit Jared Allen with an alley-oop. Mobley scored. Nyang scored. And to end the half, Darius Garland with a second left banged in a three-pointer, which put the Cavaliers up eight heading into halftime. It felt like, okay, the starting unit's clicking again. It took him a minute, but Darius was back in command. His first half was awesome. 16 points from him. Mobley had a Jokic light 12-4-3. and three. The Cavaliers outscored the Nuggets bench 26-11 to 11 in the first half, and that was en route to their highest scoring bench outing of the season. It's not a surprise since obviously the Nuggets kind of pulled the plug in the fourth quarter, but 47 bench points tonight for the Cavaliers. Only one other game. Did they crack 40 points this year? That would have been good for third place if you looked at all of last season. The average bench points for the Cavs in a game this season is just north of 29 points a game. The Cavaliers nearly had that in the first half tonight. And to top it off, Nikola Jokic did not go to the free throw line one time. That's how good the Cavaliers were 
in defending Jokic. Now, he got a lot of isolations on Jared Allen, and I thought Allen did reasonably well. I was a little worried in the couple of possessions to begin the game because Jokic just bullied him, but they started to show doubles and send guys his way, and Allen started to win more of those individual battles. And ultimately, 10-6-6 from Jokic, but none of those at the free throw line, and three personal fouls felt pretty good at halftime. Now, I want to take it away from this individual game for just a moment to kind of zoom out, 10,000-foot view, because it was easy to get down on our early season record, especially when it was paralleled against last year's 8-1 and one start. But I wanted to offer some things up which I thought were interesting. The first of those is that the Cavaliers have been underdogs in five games this season. And after tonight's victory, we are 3-2 and two in those games. The Knicks in Madison Square Garden, that was the game we were our biggest underdog, a five-and-a-half-point underdog. We beat the Nuggets tonight, and we beat this, the Golden State Warriors in San Francisco, all of those big victories. We dropped the Sacramento game, a game in which we were bludgeoned in. There's no way around that. And we dropped the Knicks game in Cleveland. When you look at the rest of the games, we're playing 500 ball. We're 4-4 four and four as favorites. I think you can look at all four of the losses, Oklahoma City twice and Indiana twice. Those teams are far better than anyone gave them credit for. The Oklahoma City Thunder are 9-4. and four. They're third in the Western Conference. The Sacramento Kings are 8-4. and four. They're fourth in the Western Conference. Since De'Aaron Fox returned to the Kings lineup, they have yet to lose. And after beating us by 12... They beat the Lakers by 15, they beat the Spurs by 9, and they beat the Mavericks by 16 points. They just won their sixth straight game tonight against the Mavericks, and Fox and Sabonis combined for 62 points. The story of this early season is starting to look a lot less like abject Cavalier failure and more like some sort of combination of an unhealthy Cavalier team looking to find their footing when it comes to shooting to go along with some inordinately hot teams which are breaking out on the early season schedule. Now, the next game is going to be a massive test. The Philadelphia 76ers are no joke. They're also one of the best teams in the league, and they went on to trounce the Nets tonight. Joel Embiid, a very impressive outing. They are a half game out of first place in the Eastern Conference, and the depth the additions in Batum and Rocco that they've brought back, the better play out of Jaden Springer, Paul Reed doing what Paul Reed does, Tobias Harris having an incredibly efficient season for him, and Tyrese Maxey balling out of his mind, playing all-NBA-level basketball. That is a team which gives us fits. It's funny, when I played back all those clips from the Nuggets podcast about how they were saying, well, these guys, you know, Jokic owns these two in the front court. No, he doesn't. But who does is Joel Embiid. He's the man that I'm worried about. And much more than Jokic. I actually like Jokic. I hate Embiid. So this next game, this will not be an easy victory. Tobias Harris is playing the best basketball since he's come to Philadelphia. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. And he's doing it on 57 40 89 splits. He has not scored like that since he was an L.A. Clipper. This is his best season in five seasons. That's to say nothing of Tyrese Maxey. 
He's taken another leap. He's increased his scoring nearly seven points a game. He's still shooting a blistering 45% from three-point land. Now, this is a guy who can score in any number of ways, but on his career, to be a 42% three-point shooter, I think it's one of the things that kind of is unsung about him comparatively. He's sixth in the NBA and made three-pointers this season. He's above Jalen Brunson, above Jason Tatum, above Duncan Robinson, who is just otherworldly right now for the Miami Heat. Oh, and don't look at number three, because that would be a negative against our six man of the year campaign. Stupid Tim Hardaway Jr. Shockingly good. He's doubled his assists this year. We talk about Max Struess doubling his assists. Well, Tyrese Maxey has gone from three and a half to seven, and he's done it with minimal impact to his turnovers. Just one and a half turnovers per game. He is playing all NBA level ball. Now, this is in a slurp fest of the Philadelphia 76ers. I do think there are some things which we can definitely take advantage of. The first of those is that we are a much faster team. And in a half-court defense where Joel Embiid has the luxury of plotting his way back and still being instrumental on the defensive end, I think we need to exploit that. We need to push the tempo. And certainly, this year we have done that. Now, coming into tonight, I've not looked at the stats after this Denver game, but one thing I thought was interesting was that we were third in points per play in transition at 139.1, which was our highest number this century. And specifically, if we can get out and turn over the Philadelphia 76ers, which we know Joel Embiid is a bit of a turnover machine, the Cavaliers are fourth in the league in points per play off of steals. Now, we are specifically terrible at preventing teams from getting offensive rebounds. 27th in the league this year, and at over 30%, of opponents' misses ending up back in their hands. That is our worst performance since 2011-2012. Basically, LeBron bailed to go to Miami, and we just we just gave up. But that can't be happening on a team with title aspirations. And for the Philadelphia 76ers, who are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league, sixth in the NBA right now, Dean's recent work will need to carry over. There will need to be a collective effort by everyone, by Struess, by Dean, by Mobley. Mobley now four games in a row with double-digit rebounds. So it can be done, but they need to shut off second-chance opportunities for this Philadelphia 76ers team. And the last thing I will be paying particular attention to is what the minivan does in his first matchup against the Sixers since joining the cast. Don't look now. I know there was a lot of people on the Bates over Nyang bandwagon. These last four games should provide you some peace of mind that we were lacking early in the season as George started out 0 for 8 from outside the arc. Because in his last four games, George is 7 of 12. From outside the arc, 58% on his threes, and he's hovering around double-digit points in roughly 20 minutes a game. I think that's pretty damn good. If you look at our bench last season, to get a guy giving you anywhere around 10 points would have been a massive victory. Last year, the sixth-best scorer on the Cavs averaged 8.7 points. This year, the sixth-best scorer on the Cavs averages 12 points. The seventh-best scorer averages 10 points. George Yang, coming in at number eight, And knocking down 58% of his triples over the last four games is a step in the right direction. Now, some of us take steps in the right direction. Others just fall forward in any direction and pray for fouls, like Joel Embiid. I leave you with this. This is a ballad from last season. It features the floppiest flopping grifter of all time. The only MVP to never advance past the second round, Joel Embiid.
Thank you to everyone who has joined me for the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you, by the way, for the reviews. I saw more in the Apple Store. I don't take those for granted. You're helping me climb the algorithm, put myself in front of more Cavs fans, and I'm eternally grateful. And woo-ha, Cavalier Reddit user, thank you. I'm sorry you had to wait so long to see your beautiful artwork on the Cavalier podcast cover art, but I hope it was well worth it for you. And to all my Fro faithful who didn't buckle to pressure to trade him for a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. or fucking Doug McDermott. Well, today is your day. And for every one of those 10 points that started the second half, back to 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 back, congratulations. It's a fro day. Oh! Oh, help me, rats! This here's a tale about a fellow. Flops around like he's made of jello. Hey, there's the floor. Time to take a dive. Help, referees. I'm lucky to be alive. Okay, JoJo. Here's how it goes. Drop a shoulder. Use an opportune elbow. Mix in a dive like a life alert patron. I'm falling. Selling sensation. Crunch time Cavs game. More of these same. Flip the switch. Time to play like a freight train. Mobley goes down. Trying to learn from you. You are right. I learned it by watching you. Charge on Joel. Refs say, oh, well, we'll just say it's marginal. Go to hell. This is the guy who's your MVP? Okay. If you want points given for free, you want it, JoJo? You got it. You want that? JoJo, you got it. Points for free. You want it, JoJo? You got it. You want that? JoJo, you got it. Points for free. I prefer my MVPs to score points legitimately. But hey, to each their own.